0: Hey guys, it's Ellie, and welcome to Minute Mysteries. You're in the right place. So, if you've never been on this podcast before, again, welcome! (laughs) I hope you stick around, and I hope you continue to enjoy the podcast episodes. Basically, what happens here is that I have this book called Minute Mysteries by H.A. Ripley. I think it was published in, like, 1919 or something, or maybe a couple years later. But regardless, it has a ton of Minute Mysteries within its pages. (laughs) Minute Mysteries, you've probably heard of them. They're basically just logic puzzles. They're like little circumstances that they give you that test your deduction skills and they are so much fun to do. So every episode I read three of them and after reading each one, I try my darndest to get them right, to try and solve it, right? And once I either find my solution or I run out of ideas, then we read the solution together and we celebrate, hopefully. (laughs) So yeah, that's the general gist of it. So anyways, with no more waffle, Let's jump right in. Sergeant Reynolds's Theory Inspector Kelly picks out such nice, messy jobs for me. Professor Fordney smiled as Reynolds made a wry face. We found him lying against a boulder about ten feet from the bottom of a fifty-foot embankment of solid rock. While there were no traces of the path of his fall, the concrete road directly above him was stained with blood. I don't know why people insist on walking along the highway. That's such a bad curve right there. I don't suppose we'll ever find out who struck him. And then it's possible for someone to have hit him without knowing it. And I believe the car that did stopped, and the driver, seeing how badly he was hurt, in fear, drove on. What makes you think that, Reynolds? There are tracks of a car skidding along the shoulder of the road, and footprints in the blood where the fellow dropped on the pavement. I suppose the poor old man regained consciousness, staggered to his feet, and rolled down the embankment. That finished him. Ugh, it was a messy affair. Who is he? No, we're not sure. The only identification was a small scrap of paper in his pocket with the name Tabor. By queer coincidence, there was a large T deeply cut in the blood-stained boulder which stopped his fall. No doubt, Sergeant, the murderers intended you should take exactly the inference you have. But don't you see blank blankety blank blank blank? (laughs) It has a bunch of blank words with only their first letters in it. What did the professor tell Reynolds? So the the question in this one is, what did the professor tell Reynolds? And as I mentioned, the last sentence of what Fordney says is blanked out, but it's not completely blanked out. You still get the first letter of every single word. So here are the first letters of the words in order. If you want to write it down or something. (laughs) T-W-N-B-B-T-R-A-T-B. In that order. And from what it looks like, the the blanks are different sizes, so if you're so if you're trying to follow along and trying to solve this problem along with me, first of all, feel free to do that. <laughs> Second of all, um it looks like the third word, which starts with N, only has one letter after it. Because the blank for that one is very short. Anyways, uh <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna really be able to take that into account. But if you're willing to, you know, rewind this podcast and like try and figure it out by writing out the words you might have said, feel free. I think that would be really fun. <laughs> but regardless, um I have no clear idea, so let's go back and summarize what clues we saw and kind of what the storyline is here. So basically, what we know of the car crash is the victim was lying against a boulder about 10 feet from the bottom of a 50-foot embankment of solid rock. So it looks like he basically fell down a cliff and landed on a boulder not quite at the bottom of that cliff. There was no evidence as to exactly the path of his fall, which I think is kind of strange, But the concrete road above him was stained with blood. So what we assume happened is that he was walking along the highway, uh, someone hit him and knocked him off the cliff, and he landed on the boulder and died, obviously. So let's just pause here. There's still more clues to go over, but I wanted to pause. So I mentioned before that I thought it was really strange how there were no traces of the path of the fall of the victim. But, like, on the concrete above him, there was blood. So you would think that... There would be blood stains kind of marking his path down, right? And also according to the story, the guy was hit and knocked off the cliff. So then why would there be blood on the concrete up above? Wouldn't he have been knocked over and the only blood stain would be on the boulder where he actually died? This is really morbid, but this is important, okay? <laughs> Those are some strange things that I've kind of picked up on so far. So anyways, let's continue. So, next what Reynolds assumes about the story, is that he thinks that the person who hit the victim actually stopped, got out, saw the damage, and then drove off in fear of basically what he did to this guy, which makes sense. Okay, okay. (laughs) I'm understanding some things. So anyways, the hit-and-run perpetrator, essentially, the person that hit the victim, we know he was there because you can see some skid marks along the side of the road, next to where the blood is, obviously, and then some footprints in the blood, where the fellow dropped on the pavement. So we can assume those footprints are of the driver and not of the victim, because it's kind of hard to walk in your own blood puddle, you know? (laughs) I mean, you can, but like, still. And then the victim regained consciousness, staggered to his feet, and then rolled down the embankment. So what I thought before is that the car destroyed it, pushed him off the cliff. But this clarifies that he was knocked to the ground, knocked unconscious, so hit his head and bled, right? And then he gained consciousness, was probably a little bit dizzy, and fell off the cliff. And also, probably before the victim woke up, the driver drove off again. Like, he did not stay on the scene for very long, right? So, we're basically done with all the clues, but there are just a couple more. So, the victim had a small scrap of paper in his pocket that had the name Tabor on it, spelled T-A-B-O-R. And also... There was a large T deeply cut in the boulder that he landed on over the cliff. Okay, so that's basically it. And I wanted to focus on the blood stain. So I think that there are some like, logistics going on with the blood stain and the path down the cliff side that we don't have any clues for. So the story right now for how the victim got from the side of the road down to the boulder is that he was hit, knocked unconscious, and his head bled a bunch. That's why there's the blood up on the concrete. And then he woke up and then fell down the cliff, which I think is a little bit strange because, I mean, obviously when you gain consciousness again, you're probably a little bit dizzy and he was also right next to the edge of the cliff. So it makes a little bit of sense, but I mean, still it feels wrong that someone would like become conscious again and then fall down a cliff. (laughs) And also I mentioned this before, but like, why isn't there a trail of blood down the cliff? Like he already had a head wound that was probably still bleeding. And then he fell down a cliff. And I would assume that it wasn't just a straight free fall. Like, he probably hit the cliff a few times on his way down. And even if that wasn't true, blood would still be flying from his head. There would be some record of his path down the cliff, right? Am I crazy? Or is this the actual solution? Like, oh my goodness. Okay. Okay, so I said I wasn't really going to reference this, but I think I will. So, if you remember, the last sentence of the story is blanked out. Because it is up to us to figure out what he said to Reynolds. So, the first four words of the sentence start with the letters T, W, N, and B. And referencing the uh, size of the blanks. So, by the way, if you actually want to see the blanks for yourself and see how big they are and stuff, so you can kind of assume along with me, then I will leave a link to the ebook, which should be free, down in the show notes if you want to check it out. And that would also let you kind of play along along with me, so that would be fun. Anyways... So if you look at the blank, you would think that it would read there was no body because was has a very short blank after it. So it looks like it kind of has two letters in it. And the word starting with N only has a very, very short blank after it, which makes it seem that there's only one letter after it. So I think that says no. And to go on after the first four words, remember, it goes T, W, N, B and then another B. So I think it's there was no body below, maybe, because it has to do with a cliff. And then the next word is a very short word that starts with T. And that might be a the. So it's, there was no body below the. And then the next word starts with an R. And it's, you know, relatively long. Could have like three letters, I would assume. And uh, yeah, this is very interesting, actually. I'm I'm having a lot of fun. (laughs) So what we have so far is, there was no body below the. And then R-A-T-B. R looks like it has three letters after it. A looks like it has two letters after it. Same with the next T. And then B looks like it has like four or five letters after it. If you're writing this down, I mean, there you go. (laughs) This is actually a lot of fun. I feel like you guys should pause and kind of, you know, play along a little bit. This is cool. (laughs) I'm like filling in the blanks. (laughs) So (laughs) I've tried my hardest and that's basically all I can find. Um, I'm not assuming that anything that I have is correct. I mean, I can only be really sure about one word, and that's the n-word, which, not that n-word, but it's the word that starts with n and then has one letter after it, and I'm assuming that's the word no, because it's basically the only word that's like that. But besides that, I don't know, and I'm kind of at a loss at this point, but let's see how much of it we got right. Let's see if we got any of it right, you know? I'm kind of curious. So, just for reference, my final answer, my final solution, although incomplete, is there was no body below the R-A-T blood question mark. I don't know about the blood one. So let's read the solution and see if I was correct on any level. (laughs) The professor told Reynolds, there was no blood between the road and the boulder. Had the man rolled down the embankment, there would have been some blood on the rocks along the path his body took. So first of all, I got the first three words of the sentence right. I got, there was no. That was correct. I thought that it was body, but it ended up being blood. So that also makes sense. And then it went between the road and the boulder. So I'm honestly happy with that. But I'm still going to give myself a point because I pointed out what Fordney told to Reynolds. I found that. I mentioned, like, how was there no path between the road and the boulder? Like, he's he was still actively bleeding. He should have... There must have been something there, right? And that's exactly what Fordney told Reynolds. So, mm, I get that point. (laughs) So, anyways, I'm very proud of that because, for reference, (laughs) the last two weeks of these Minute Mysteries episodes, I've gotten zero right. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is very sad. But yeah, so this is my first point that I've gotten in a while, (laughs) which is uh, really sad. But here we are. I'm very happy. Woo, finally, I got a point after way too long of not getting a point. My gosh. Okay, so let's move on to the next one, shall we? Daylight Robbery I went to the office Thursday to do some work, Schaefer related. About noon, I happened to look out the window and notice a black sedan draw up and two tough-looking fellows get out. They looked suspicious to me, and as I wasn't armed, I hastily banged the safe door closed and ran into the washroom. Not a bit too soon, either. In just a few seconds, they came in, one carrying a sawed-off shotgun. I could see them plainly. They looked around for a moment, and one said, If anybody comes in here before we're through, give it to him." He then went over to the safe and, after working on it for about five minutes, had it open and took the money. They certainly had a lot of nerve, even stopped to count it. Then they leisurely strolled out the door. I called headquarters immediately. How much did they get? questioned Inspector Kelly. "'Over 15000 "'We hadn't banked the money from the day before "'because Thursday was a holiday. "'Get the number of the car.' "'No. "'When it drove up to the office, "'I didn't see a license plate on the front, "'and I couldn't see the back. "'When I finished telephoning for the police, "'it had gone. "'Was there anyone at the office besides you?' "'I was alone. "'A man telephoned an hour before, however, "'and asked if we were open. "'I told him no, but I'd be there until about 2.30. "'He hung up without answering. "'Well, fellows.' asked Professor Fordney of the members of his class in criminology to whom he was telling the story, why did Inspector Kelly immediately arrest Schaefer? So, my first inklings. I noticed as I was reading that he mentioned that he ran into the washroom in order to, you know, stay out of view of the robbers, right? But the very next sentence, he literally says that he could see them plainly. Like, literally a couple sentences later. The whole point of washrooms... Is that it has no windows because you need your privacy. (laughs) And when it does have a window, it's, like, frosted over so people can't see in and you can't see out. So he couldn't have seen the guys. So what also crossed my mind, kind of explaining this, is that maybe the washroom has a door facing the middle of the store so that he would be able to see the robbers, right? But then the robbers would be able to see him too, right? Like, if the door's open, he's just kind of standing there. I mean, they'd be able to see him, so... Basically, I'm assuming that a washroom is a bathroom. I don't see why it wouldn't be one. (laughs) But yeah, like, what the heck? (laughs) So yeah, I'm confident enough in my answer that he should not have been able to see the robbers because he was literally in a washroom. That I will just skip straight to the end. Yeah, sometimes there are some puzzles that I spend a lot of time on, and then some puzzles that I spend almost no time on because I just figure out the answer pretty quick. So (laughs) this is hopefully one of those moments. We'll see if I'm right. Anyways, Let's read the solution. As no safe locks unless the combination is turned, Schaefer's story of banging it closed and then the robbers working on it five minutes was ridiculous. Okay, to be fair, I still think that my washroom theory is plausible. However, that is a fair point. I did not know that fact about safes. I kind of just assumed that they would lock if they closed, but it makes sense that they wouldn't, especially, you know, back in this time. So yeah, that's really clever. It's said that he literally just banged the door closed and then the robber still had some troubles figuring it out, which obviously wouldn't have worked. So, wow, yeah. (laughs) I think this was just a case of me not understanding how safes work because I don't have a safe. I mean, (laughs) I don't really need a safe. I don't have any guns or anything. Like, (laughs) seriously. But anyways, let's move on to the last puzzle. A simple solution. The sun streamed cheerfully through the window bringing into lively play the soft tunes of the luxurious furnishings as the two house guests, Professor Fordney and Inspector Kelly, entered the oil magnate's bedroom. "'Nothing in here to get excited about,' said Kelly. Fordney, opening the window and seeing Smith lying on the ground three stories below it, cried, "'Run down, Inspector! Quick! There he is!' Kelly nodded and was on his way. As he hurried out the door, he came face to face with the butler. Fordney eyed the servant suspiciously as he entered. "'When did you see Mr. Smith last?' he asked. "'About an hour ago. "'He had a telephone call which seemed to excite him, "'and he came right up here to his room. "'Who brought this up?' forney asked, "'fingering an unopened letter with an illegible postmark. "'He brought it up himself, sir, "'saying he was not to be disturbed. "'Anyone been here since?' "'Kelly's noisy entrance interrupted the butler's, "'No, sir.' "'Smith broke his neck. "'I found this on him,' he remarked, "'handing the professor a note.' This is what the note says. "'Ill health and financial trouble have made life a burden. I'm leaving my bedroom for the last time. A three-story drop, and my misery will be over. Smith.' "'His suicide will be a blow to the oil industry,' Kelly mused, as Fordney sat down at the desk and began to write with Smith's fountain pen. "'His death will be, Inspector,' said Fordney. "'Better get the servants together. This is murder, not suicide.' "'What reason?' did Fordney have for making such a statement? Oh, I see. A fake suicide, huh? These aren't all too uncommon. So let's go through the clues and summarize what we just read. So the scene starts with Professor Fordney and Inspector Kelly being in a mansion of an oil magnate, and they find his body outside his bedroom's window, three stories down. So he you know, jumped out of his window and fell three stories. At least that's what we're supposed to think. So Fordney sends the inspector down to go check out the body once they spot it, and then Fordney stays in the bedroom. And on the inspector's way out, he comes face to face with the butler, but then he continues on his way to the body and looks around at it. So while he's down there, Fordney talks to the butler, and so he asks him when he saw him last, and the butler says that he saw him about an hour ago when he got a phone call that kind of, you know, excited him or something, and then he went upstairs to his room, which is where he jumped out of his window, which is very sad. Next, Fordney notices an unopened letter with an illegible postmark in his room, and the butler says that the victim was the one that brought it up himself. And after Fordney's question, wondering whether anyone has been here since the death, uh, the butler said no. So, interesting. It was at this point that the inspector gets back from looking at the dead body, and he finds out that Smith broke his neck, and he also found a suicide note on him. And then, basically right after that, Fordney is like, he was murdered. You know, this isn't a suicide, this is a murder, and then that's basically where the story ends. So, yeah. <laughs> this isn't super, super detailed or anything, it's not packed with information, but there is still only one solution. Oh, wait, wait, okay, wait a second. Oh, okay, uh, I think I just discovered something. So, the very first sentence, which kind of sets the scene, right, has a clue in it. So, allow me to read it once again. The sun streamed cheerfully through the window, bringing into lively play the soft tones of the luxurious furnishings, and then so on and so forth. But the important bit here is the luxurious furnishings that are found in the oil magnate's bedroom. According to his suicide note, he was struggling financial trouble, wasn't he? So why would he still have luxurious furnishings in his bedroom? Obviously, I mean, financial troubles is probably relative, like he may not be as rich as he was before. But I still think that's a strange thing that like if he's so poor that he is, you know, really depressed he still has nice things in his room. So yeah, that seems to kind of be a little bit strange. So I'm not 100% confident about that. I assume that there are still other things that can be found out. So I'm going to keep on looking and you can keep on looking too if you like. (laughs) And um, yeah, let's just keep on looking around to see if we can find anything new. So update, Um, I've poked around a little bit more. I've read the story again a couple times. And, um, yeah, (laughs) that's all I've noticed, basically. The, uh, the weird luxurious furniture thing in his room when he's supposedly experiencing financial troubles. So, yeah, that's basically my solution. I am somewhat confident in it. It might be a little bit kind of shaky because, obviously, when you're poor, you don't always sell everything you own. Also, this guy was a literal oil magnate, you know? How poor could he have really been, you know? So yeah, anyways, that's what I'm going to say. So let's read the solution and see if I was right. Had Smith committed suicide, the window through which he jumped would not have been closed as Fordney found it. Okay. That makes way more sense than my solution. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Dude, I should have noticed. I should have noticed. So yeah, the window was closed and supposedly he had jumped out of the window. And, you know, nobody else had been in his bedroom since then, so I feel really stupid. (laughs) Okay. But anyways, so that's basically going to wrap it up for this week. I got one out of three correct, which is amazing, because last two weeks I've gotten zero. So this is progress. That was, that was so good. That was amazing. I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) So yeah. So I hope that you guys will begin to play along with me. I don't know why I didn't do this before, but I will post the link to access the ebook of the book that I'm reading out of in the show notes. So it should be public domain, so it should be free. And you would be able to read along with me. But yeah, anyways, even though I only got one out of three, I'm still proud of myself. The other two solutions were pretty interesting and pretty clever, even though I am a freaking monkey brain for not noticing the window being closed. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay, but anyways... Um, yeah, I just have one or two things to say to you. First of all, thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful to have listeners like you guys. And secondly, I just want to mention that I have an email. So if you ever wanted to email me with anything, whether it be comments or feedback or book recommendations or even logic puzzle recommendations, or even you telling me all about how you followed along on Mini Mysteries episodes, I mean, dude, I want to know all about it. Give me all of your knowledge (laughs) anyways the email is classicmysteriespod at gmail.com and it is also in the show notes so yeah i'd appreciate it if you guys would reach out and i think it would be actually pretty exciting if you guys started playing along because dude you'd begin to see kind of how difficult these are right (laughs) but yeah just another thing i wanted to say if you're new to the podcast and you've never really listened to a classic mysteries episode not a minute mysteries episode which is this one then you should. (laughs) The regular episodes, they are much longer, but they're also a lot of fun. Basically the premise is that I just read some old mystery book, currently I'm reading Bulldog Drummond, and then I just comment on it. (laughs) I pause every once in a while and I just make jokes and we kind of, you know, nerd out about what's going on in the story and, you know, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Bulldog Drummond is actually beginning to wrap up, like we're getting close to the end of the book and things are starting to go a little bit crazy, so I'm very excited about that right now. If you want to listen to Bulldog Drummond, I would suggest you listen from the first or second episode, just so you don't miss very much context, because, again, it's a very long series. It's been going on for a while now. Um, But that will soon be over. There are also earlier episodes where I just do one or two part things. And, yeah, if you guys listen to those, I'd really appreciate it, because they're a lot of fun. Anyways, thank you again for listening. I had a wonderful week, and I hope you guys do too. So, I'll see you guys next Thursday. Uh, I still don't have a good outro for this. See you later.